That's a, <laughs> that's a loaded question right off the bat. <laughs> Welcome to Hindsight, the podcast with your hosts, Lee and Eric. I think that for many, many people, their frame of reference when they come into the workplace is school. That's why I drive myself to the point of exhaustion sometimes. Welcome to Hindsight, the podcast with your hosts, Lee and Eric. And today we have very special guest, Terry B. McDougall. Terry is an executive and career coach and CEO of the Terry B. McDougal Coaching. She is the author of Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. She is also the host of Marketing Mambo Podcast. Welcome, Terry. How are you doing today? Hey, Lee and Eric. I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing good. Eric's, Eric's, <laughs> Eric's telling a lie. We know he's not feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Eric's a little under the weather because he had his COVID shot a few days ago. So go get your shots, but know that you're going to feel like crap a little later. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you have this life of purpose and, and balance and um, – you know, I had the opportunity of really defining what my purpose is and my vision is. And I think that has really defined myself and my, my career, especially from transitioning out of the military. But um, how do you discover authentic leadership? Oh, man, that's a... <laughs> That's a loaded question right That's, off the bat. I know. You didn't even warm it up a little bit. Right. <laughs> okay, so how do you discover authentic leadership? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to that question. I think that the first thing that I would say is that in order to be a good leader, you need to encourage followership. And there's a lot of things that go into that. And I think probably most important is... I think having respect for the people that you want to follow you and understanding that you're going to be a better leader if you can encourage people to actually become self-leaders. And part of that is understanding what motivates people. You know, that there are many people that, um, that lead through coercion and force. And, you know, that can work under certain circumstances. I mean, particularly if, if there's a crisis, you know, having somebody that comes in and bosses everybody around and tells people what to do, it can be effective. Um, but under normal circumstances and over a sustained period of time, that can cause a lot of burnout. It can cause people to want to leave organizations and also not necessarily feel a sense of ownership over what they're doing. So, um, you know, I think that truly effective and authentic leadership requires empathy, good listening, um, the ability to paint a, a pretty vivid picture of the vision of where they want to lead people to, and also um, the ability to put each person's role in that in context so that they understand what their part is in, you know, making that goal a reality. Mm. I, I love that you just touched on the vivid vision. Um, it's something that I definitely live by and, and strive by, you know, just to get the 
the you know the people that work with me to to buy into our mission and what we're doing mm -hmm. <laughs> it brings so much value um so in terms of that like the high energy leader um you know you talk a lot about you know setting your career path but also having boundaries uh you know for personal life it's something that i continue to struggle with um and i always want to put my career first but i also know that i have a marriage and, and a family that i love that i have to put you know time aside for so uh what are your recommendations around you know living that balanced life well you know i i want to share a little bit of uh, research that I came across when I was writing my book. And when I found this research, a big light bulb went, went um, on over my head because it really shed light on something that I suppose on a certain level I had known. But uh, when I read this research, I was like, oh man, this is like the missing piece of the puzzle. And the research is, uh, was done by this guy named Tom DeLong, who is a professor at Harvard Business School. And his research led him to believe that high achievers are addicted to external validation. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, if you think about, um, people who are successful, they have been, you know, keyed into what are the things that are expected of me. And when they have met or exceeded those expectations, they've been rewarded. They've advanced maybe in school. They've gotten recognition and, and, and rewards and awards in school, you know, probably gotten into good colleges, gotten good jobs. But what can happen over time is that and, and I'm speaking for myself. This is why that light bulb went, <laughs> went on over my head because I was like, Oh, that's why I've done this, right? This, that's why I drive myself to the point of exhaustion sometimes. Um, that, you know, we, we literally do get addicted to that. And, and so sometimes really forget to have more balance to, you know, to really go inside and say, well, what is it that I want to do? You know, because, we have gotten so used to um, delaying gratification that we get to a point where we don't recognize that we need, you know, that time to, um, you know, let our hair down and relax and recharge our batteries. And I see it quite a lot in, in people that uh, come to me for coaching is that they are so focused on what's expected of them externally that they forget to check in with themselves. Or they maybe even tell themselves that if they don't knock the lights out on their goals, that, you know, something dire is going to happen. Like they're going to get fired if they don't do 110% of goal. And the reality is for a lot of high achievers, they have room to dial it back a little bit and still do a great job and often do a better job whenever there's more balance between, you know, focusing on those goals and taking the time to, you know, have a fulfilling personal life and to care for themselves and, you know, eat at regular times and sleep enough and all of that stuff. Right. So you spoke about the book, you know, the research that you put into mm -hmm. the book. So let's talk about winning the game of work. I read a, well, it's actually in the first chapter, but it, it really set the tone uh, to me 
for what I was reading when you said asking for what you really want. And sometimes going back to those childhood memories can help us get back in touch with that part of ourselves. And you talked about being a little kid and how, you know, kids really didn't have a filter and they Mm -hmm. asked for what they want. They didn't really concern themselves with the situation. So I thought that was amazing. So tell us a little more about your book and what was the motivation for writing your book? Well, you know, I actually started blogging right around the time I was leaving my last corporate job. And I had been at my last company for 12 years. And I'd say probably the last two years, I wasn't super happy with the role I was in. It was one that I actually didn't apply for. Uh, My boss came and told me, I want you to take this job. And (laughs) I tried to say no initially because I didn't think it was going to be a good fit for me. But she insisted that I move into this role. And in fact, it wasn't a great fit. I, I, you know, I did, I gave it the old college try, you know, but there were a number of reasons that um, it wasn't a great fit for me. And it, it led me to a point where I was kind of looking around at the company and looking around at the opportunities that, you know, that were there. And I, I realized that I had pretty much done everything that I wanted to do at that company. And I was, contemplating what was next. I eventually decided to leave and just spend some time figuring out what I wanted to do. And I suppose as part of my, you know, I'm going to call it like detox from <laughs> being right. in a job I wasn't happy with for a couple of years. Right. Um, I, I was writing, you know, and I was, I was thinking about lessons that I was learning or had learned and I, I don't know. It's always been important for me when I learn something to share it with other people. And so I blogged for about two years. Um, and after or somewhere along the line, somebody asked me, like, how many words do you have in your blog? And I decided to download them. And I had about 25,000 words. And it, he was the first person that put this idea in my head that, you know, you have enough, you have enough words that you could write a book. You could take that and put it in a book. So that got me thinking. It planted the seed of like, oh, maybe I could do a book. And then um, probably shortly after that, a friend of mine was in a book writing program. And I decided to join the same program that she was in. And so I basically took my blogs and they, they became the seeds of the book. Right. The book is about 75,000 words. So I wrote a lot more. Um, but, you know, the blogs just sort of formed the foundation of what the book became, which... You know, my my topics were all around, you know, in some ways, like the unwritten rules of how you get ahead at work, because a lot of people don't know them. And, you know, I had to learn my lessons the hard way in many cases. And uh, I just wanted to share those with other people. Were you already coaching um, before you wrote this book or while you were blogging? Were you were you a coach? Um, I decided shortly after I left my job to get a coaching certification. And so I was blogging at the same time that I was going through the coach training. And um, I finished my coach training in January of 2018. And I actually, you know, and I kept blogging, um, but I started the book in the summer of 2019. Okay. Hey, so I'm going to load it up on you again with a three-part question. (laughs) Now, now here's the deal. You can answer it right now after I ask you, 
or you can think about it as we're going through the interview and answer it towards the end. So you choose after I read it. Okay. So what was the most important thing that you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning this? And what was your life like or what is your life like after? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, that can, now, that can be in career. That can be in a relationship. It can be in anything. So we're going to hold that off until later. But keep that in, your, in the back of your mind because I think that's a pretty interesting question. And I can't wait to hear the answer. <laughs> I'm always yeah. seeking on these things. I can't wait to hear it either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, who, so, okay, so what does a coach, what do you do, um, what do your services involve as a coach? And who do you, what do your clients, the perfect client look like to you? Well, you know, I say that I work with high achieving professionals who are successful but not satisfied. And, you know, we were, we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, Lee, I think you were talking about how sometimes it's hard for you to, you know, have that balance in your life. And, and that's common. I mean, that's really common with the people that I work with. And I, I really try to help people do two things, shift into a mindset where they start to believe that they can have the things that they want. And then I, I work with them to identify skill gaps that may be standing in the way of them getting what they'd like to have professionally. Um, because I think it's those two things. I mean, sometimes people already have all the talents that they need, but maybe there's, you know, maybe a, maybe a lack of confidence or, um, you know, some mindset situation that's standing between them stepping fully into their potential and really performing. Um, but sometimes people, you know, they just have a few missing pieces of the puzzle. Like they're smart, they're hardworking, but they may be doing some things at work that are actually counterproductive to reaching their goals. Um, and so those are the things I help them with. Right. Um, but like a little bit more specifically, you know, I, I look at people that would like to be more effective at work. Um, I also work with people that maybe have gotten to a crossroads in their career and they're trying to figure out, do I want to keep doing what I'm, I'm doing? And sometimes that leads to them going into to job search. And I also coach on that topic as well. Okay. Okay. Mm, that's amazing. I think, uh, you know, it has a lot to do, with, you know, how we all kind of spend our energy. Um, whether it's, you know, physical or emotional energy. I know a lot of times, you know, once I'm done with my day, I'm completely exhausted. Um, mm -hmm. And especially now, you know, with all the Zoom calls. But, um, you know, the rewarding part of it is just, you know, that continued affirmation, you know, that I seek from, from my peers and, and other leadership. But with that, I mean, how... How do you help define, you know, who you're working with, their brand and, um, and say their purpose? Well, I mean, it's not really up for me, up to me to de decide that or define that, but I try to help people get clarity on that. And one of the things that's very interesting is when I work with somebody who, you know, maybe is feeling a little discouraged, like they think they're smart enough to you know, move ahead at work, they, they're working hard, but they're not getting the results that they'd like to see. Um, 
I, I try to help them like step fully into themselves, right? So that, that they start to expect that they can have positive things in their career. Um, and we start to kind of look at the situation in a way to say, okay, is the issue really here that, you know, a lot of times people fear that they're not good enough, right? And is that really the truth? Or is it that there's just a few small things that you could do differently that would help you have a different impact? Or maybe you're in a situation that's never going to change, right? No matter what you do. And that's something that I help people get clarity on. And I, you know, I can't tell coming in whether that's the case or not, but I help them to, you know, in some ways I feel like I'm the person that holds the mirror up for them so that they can see themselves within the entire um, environment and start to maybe see things that they haven't seen before. Um, You know, we all have patterns in the way that we interact in the world, and sometimes we don't realize that we do. But when we start to realize that we have choice in how we show up and we can do things differently, once we start to do that, a lot of times that can have a, that can cause a different outcome um, within the environment. So I, I don't think I really touched on your, your brand question, but that kind of gives you some insight into what I try to help people with. No, yeah, that, that's really remarkable. So Lee and I, you know, we have a strong military background. You know, we spent a long time, you know, in the Army. And mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners are at that point of transition, you know, from mm-hmm. military to civilian. Um, so you kind of being that corporate leader and holding that role, uh, what advice do you have for them? Well, what I the advice that I have for anybody that wants to make a transition is, Try to get clear on what you really enjoy doing and what you're good at. You know, if you start with those two things and then through that lens, look out in the marketplace and say, you know, where are there places where I can do what I like to do and what I'm good at? Um, that's where you end up with win-win situations where, you know, you'll get a job and it won't even feel like work. You know, maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you're going to get more satisfaction out of it if it's something that you just like to do. Oh, okay. Uh, so who coaches you? I know you, you touched on it earlier. You said you, you sought mm-hmm. out coaches. So yep. um, who coaches you and what type of things do you look for when you're uh, seeking out a coach? Well, I mean, I, I am... Um, lucky enough to have a whole tribe of coaches that I know, (laughs) you know, that's, that's the beauty of going through a coach training program is that I have lots of friends and colleagues who are coaches. Okay. So, um, you know, I get coaching from people that I know. Um, I actually have my podcast and I've been meeting lots of great people. I actually just started working with somebody who is a marketing coach um, who's going to help me, you know, improve my whole approach to marketing my business. Um, I have some other people in my, you know, circle that, um, that help me with other more personal things. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm constantly, I have been constantly probably pretty much my whole life on a a path of, um, self-improvement. Oh, okay. 
Awesome. So, let's see. I'm trying to think of why, because I've never considered a coach, right? Mm -hmm. And I've actually, on the podcast, I think I've spoken or interviewed three coaches in a row, right? Different different specialties. Uh, One was strictly helping veterans to transition, and another one was sort of what you're doing now. Um, And you answered it a little bit earlier. I'm fumbling with this because I'm really trying to figure out if I need a coach. (laughs) (laughs) So... Once again, and I'm, I'm asking, it's like being in a police station. They keep asking, okay, well, this. And then they ask you a different way. So I'm asking you the same mm-hmm. thing a different way, right? Yeah. What is the most um, popular reason, I guess I would say it like that, most popular um, reason a person contacts you for your services? Um. Probably the most um, popular reason that people contact me is because they want to move up in their career and, you know, maybe they've applied for a lot of jobs or they've talked with their boss about advancement and they're not making the, the headway that they'd like to make. And what I, I often um, see is that people don't really understand how those decisions get made about, you know, how people get promoted. And, um, you know, I always tell people, like, some people think that, like, oh, if I just keep my head down and I'm quiet over here in the corner and I do my work, that somebody's going to notice, you know, my excellent work and they're going to, like, pluck me out of this corner and promote me. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it works. You know, you really have to advocate for yourself. You have to overperform in the role that you're in. You may need to step outside your comfort zone and build a broader network outside of just your boss. Um, You may have to volunteer for things that expose you to more people within your organization. Because as you move up, um, a lot of times it's not just your boss that has a say in that decision. Um, I mean, I, I was a, a leader for a number of years and, you know, I was, I was part of a large marketing department at my last employer. I mean, they ha- had hundreds of people in marketing and I was reporting to the chief marketing officer for a large part of the bank. And, you know, she probably had overall like 125 people in her department Um, And I was one of her direct reports. And when I wanted to promote someone, it would be a discussion between her and all of my peers because they don't want to have like one person, you know, like if I decided like, oh, you're great and I'm going to promote you, right? They want it to be consistent across the whole department. And so I, I would have to make the case to everybody else in the department and one of the things that was difficult for me was that I was one of, uh, really, I was actually the only direct report of my boss that was in the United States. Everybody else was in Canada. And so they saw each other. They saw a lot of, you know, they saw each other's direct reports and that kind of stuff. And, you know, people didn't know the people on my team as well. And so I really had to make an effort and I had to really encourage the people on my team to do things that would get them exposure 
to, you know, more of the senior leaders so that, you know, if they wanted to move up, that they'd be like, oh, I know that person. Yeah, and I know she's quality, right? Um, so I guess that's, that's one of the things that people don't understand. Um, and I, you know, one of the other things that I've seen very often is that even when people do get promoted, sometimes they don't, they don't, they don't mentally promote themselves. So that they'll try to do their old job and their new job, or, you know, they won't delegate authority and responsibility to the people under them. They'll just try to do everything themselves. And that's not really leadership. And it's not, it's not a way that you can be successful in the long term either. Yeah, that's such a great point. Um, so looking, looking towards the future, right? Everything is starting to open up. I feel like everybody is back at, you know, 120 miles an hour, you know, trying to make up for, for the last year. So what advice are you giving, uh, you know, some of the people that, that you're coaching and and mentoring, um, to either slow down and continue to seek that balance and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or, um, you know, how are you going about that? Well, under any circumstances, I really encourage people to be thoughtful about where they want to place their boundaries between their life and work. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't have any kind of, you know, cookie cutter approach. I don't say to people like, oh, you should only work eight and a half hours a day or anything like that, because it's really up to each person to decide where they put those boundaries. But um, I see a lot of people that tell themselves things that aren't necessarily true. And I'll just give you an example. You know, when I was in the corporate world, I very rarely brought my laptop home on the weekends. Um, and it did not hurt my ability to advance within the company. I mean, I have three kids. I'm married and I've got three kids. So, you know, I wanted to have time on the weekends to spend with my family and you know, I only brought my laptop home if it was like, you know, I was really under a deadline or something like that. I really tried to use the weekend to recharge so that when I got up and went into work on Monday, I was, I was fresh, you know, and I was ready to give it my all. But I knew, I mean, even people that were on my team would take their laptops home every weekend. And sometimes they would even, you know, complain to me like, oh, I was working on this all weekend. I was like, well, why are we doing that? Right? I mean, if, if you feel like you can't get your work done during the week, come and talk to me, <laughs> you know, because I think what happens a lot of times, and I mean, listen, I'm not going to pretend like there aren't organizations that will push their people to work 24 seven, but that's a losing proposition in the long run. And I think that each of us needs to, you know, decide where, where's that boundary and, Am I going to enforce it or not? Um, You know, I also know people that will, you know, if you texted them or sent them an email at 12 o'clock at night about work stuff, they would answer it. And I don't believe that that's necessary unless, you know, you're in, you're a, you know, ER doctor or something. Right, right. Wow. That is great advice. And it leads right into my next question, which I probably should have asked earlier, but here it is now. Um, your book title, The Game mm-hmm. of Work. Now, that's not mm-hmm. the whole title, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So you compare being successful 
at your job to, well, you don't really compare it, but just understanding the rules of the game and properly playing the game, right? So different (laughs) jobs or different careers have different cultures, different rules. How do you go about understanding the rules or all the rules to the game, all a set set of rules? Uh, no, I don't think that there's necessarily um, uh, a set of rules, but, you know, my meaning like a set set of rules. But, you know, my point is that I think that for many, many people, their frame of reference when they come into the workplace is school. And like I was saying earlier, you know, we do well in school when we're quiet and we raise our hand and right, we right. don't pick up our pencil and start on the test until the teacher tells us to. You know, it's, there's a lot of sort of command and control in school. And, um, you know, it's, you get rewarded for being quiet and modest and all of that kind of stuff. And that's not what you, I mean, that's not how people advance in the workplace. Right. Right. And, um, being more of an advocate for yourself, building networks, um, understanding how you add value. I mean, I, I'm really surprised um, a lot of times, even, you know, this happens with people that are pretty experienced, that, you know, they'll come and, and say, you know, I think I deserve a raise because I've been in this job for two years and I haven't gotten a raise, or I think I deserve a promotion because I've been doing this for 18 months or something like that. And Really, you deserve a raise or a promotion when you're providing more value for the organization. It's not like in school where, okay, well, you've been in school for nine months and you've finished all of the curriculum for 10th grade. Now we're going to advance you to 11th grade. Um, that's not how it works in the workplace, right? You could stay in 10th grade for the rest of your life if you're not, wow. if you're not learning and you're not doing something that warrants you being you know, promoted. Um, and you know, one of the things that I tell my clients and I'll tell your listeners is that there's really only three ways to add value in the workplace. You are helping that organization make money, save money or reduce risk. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm generalizing in terms of like, that's for a for-profit company, but even for nonprofits, you can take a look at that and say, okay, am I helping to raise money? Am I helping to further the mission of this organization? Um, but a lot of times people will look at their jobs more in terms of like, what are the tasks that I need to do? And if you, if you sort of like have your blinders on and you're just very task oriented rather than impact oriented, you can end up get, you know, going pretty far astray and maybe not even supporting the mission of the organization or maybe not even helping the organization to make money or save money. But you're going to be like, well, hey, I did my job. Hmm. But, you know, you've really got to focus on did I add value? Wow. Nice. Go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. So I I kind of have a personal question. So I'm gonna let you be my my personal coach for <laughs> okay. for a couple of minutes. Um, so you know where where I work and, and the type of leader that I am of like I want to promote you know professional development and self development. Um, you know how do I continue to take that approach and and encourage um, everyone that that I work with. 
um, to seek, you know, to continue to, to learn and grow? That's a that's a good question, Eric, and I and and I'm sitting on the couch next to him because I need to know that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I think that um, the way to start is to get to know your people, right, and to ask them, what do you care about? Like, what motivates you? Um, there are some people that their job is just a job, right, and their passion mm-hmm. is something that's outside of work. And you know, for those people, it might just be like, hey, just leave me alone and let me do my job, right? But you're going to have other people that really are keen on advancing, or maybe it's really important to them to, um, you know, be able to be creative or be able to feel like they're helping others. Figure out, you know, ask them, like, what is it that it's going to help you feel happier at work or, you know, what is it that is important to you? What would you like to get out of your time here besides your paycheck? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I used that approach with um, people that reported to me and I, you know, people would share like, okay, well, I have an aspiration to move into this area or um, I'd like to get promoted to the next level. And that opened up, um, you know, good and productive discussions about what they would need to make that happen. And, you know, I didn't always have the authority at that point to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to promote you. But I could say, okay, in order for you to get to that level, here's some skills you're going to need. And, you know, the last place that I worked, we actually had a training budget. And, you know, every year I would talk with my folks to say, you know, what would you like to use your training money for? Right. And so if they wanted to, you know, maybe become a copywriter, they might sign up for a a training class on writing or if they wanted to learn something about, you know, I was a marketing leader. If they wanted to learn more about digital marketing, maybe they would use their money to go to a digital marketing conference. Um, Or if I thought that, uh, like, for example, somebody wanted to get promoted, I might give them an opportunity to work on a special project where they would come in contact with, you know, my peers that Mm -hmm. would need to weigh in on whether they gave them the thumbs up or thumbs down about that promotion. So, you know, when you understand that, you can look for those ways to, to help people. Um, You know, and I, I think one other thing, too, is very important is Um, people will watch what the leader does, right? Like if the leader never takes vacation, if they're until, they're until eight o'clock at night, the other people, other people on the team are going to feel like, oh, I have to do that too. But if the leader is like, no, we're going to take some time off to do a fun, you know, departmental lunch every once in a while, or, um, you know, I would a lot of times give my, uh, teams like a half day off the day before a holiday, um, you know, if, if, if you sort of like walk the talk and then people know that they can trust you to share their aspirations or the things that they want to do. Yeah, that's really great advice. I love it. <laughs> I was here. Uh, I put it on mute so I can get over here to my notebook and write all of these uh, answers down. <laughs> what do you care about? What motivates you? Yeah, I wrote it down. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, Terry. So, what are you so for for coaching? I'm not sure how you um, keep up with what's new and you know what's going on. Um, but how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of of your your profession? 
What do you, how do you seek that out? What do you do? Well, um, you know, I, I read a lot. I have a ton of books. Um, you know, if I come across an article or if I hear somebody on a podcast or something that I think, um, is interesting, you know, I, I'm always like buying books on Amazon or, you know, I've got Audible and I'm always listening to stuff to just try to help me improve or, you know, add new ideas to my repertoire, if you will. Um, I also have been uh, a member of a mastermind with other coaches. And so we would get together once every other week for an hour and just kind of share what, what's going on with each of us. And, um, you know, at times would do kind of like a, a hot seat, like if somebody had um, an issue that they were kind of struggling with or they wanted to get some input on, um, they would kind of volunteer to be in the hot seat and like lay out their issues. And then the rest of the coaches would just like provide um, thoughts or ideas about how that person could address the um, issue that they were facing. So, you know, just being in a group like that has been really helpful for me as well. Okay, good, good. Okay, so now we had an opportunity to talk for you to tell us a little bit about what you do. So I'm going to go back to the big question, the three, okay. the three headed, uh, three headed dog, horse, whatever <laughs> yes, it is, sir, right? Sir, yes, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is that most important thing that you've learned in your life? Uh, and what was your life like before learning it? And what is your life like after learning it? Yeah, you know, it, it's, that's such a great question. And I, I'll, I'll share a little something about myself that I, I think that the answer to your question is one that has just occurred to me probably relatively recently. But this lesson I learned as a very small child, I just didn't recognize it. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, my dad had a job with the telephone company and he was, um, he was like, he worked on these, um, work crews, a blue collar, you know, labor union kind of guy. Um, and they were working on this really big project where they were burying all the long distance cable all throughout the Southeast. And so my dad's job required that we move a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot because I lived in 40 different places by the time I was 11 years old. Um, in my wow. early days, up until about second grade, we lived in a trailer that my dad would, you know, hitch up to the back of his truck and, you know, he'd go to wherever the new um, construction project was and maybe he's working there for like six or eight weeks and then they would send the crew to like maybe the next state to work on another project. So he'd hitch it up and we go to the next state. Um, so I think what I learned during those times is that I had to like have a lot of self-sufficiency. And I, I guess I also, I think, learned from just even watching my parents. They were so young when they got married. And I think my dad took this job because it paid more than having a job that just would be like in one place. Right. And so I think that it's just a matter of like, Get clear on the things you want and then do what you need to do to make it happen. Um, and, I, and I guess, you know, also having to always be going to new schools and moving into new neighborhoods, you know, I had to kind of like rely on myself and I had to decide like, you know, I couldn't really look look to my friends because right. they were always new, <laughs> you know. Um, and it was it was kind of sad when I was a kid, but... 
honestly, at this point in my life, I wouldn't change a thing because it was, it was really sort of like, you know, being, being like steel, like, you know, being put into that, that iron or into that fire to like harden. Wow. And I like that. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I mean, I'm proud of how I grew up, even though it was quite strange. Way. I mean, actually, a lot of people will say like, oh, were you a military brat, right? Like you guys that probably saw it like a lot it. in the military, yeah. right? <laughs> I, oh, t- yeah. I, I, I don't think I moved half that, probably less than 10 times when I was a kid. And I was so not self-sufficient. I was <laughs> I was so upset and crying at every school I went to. I remember yeah. it. I was such a wuss. But anyway. I cried a lot in the beginning too, but then after a while, you're like, "Well, well, you know, here we go again." Right, right, um, right. <laughs> and and also, I think the adaptability, honestly, Absolutely. because mm-hmm. you know, I live, we lived in, you know, Ohio, we lived in Florida, we lived in Maryland, we lived in Virginia, Pennsylvania, like such different types of places, you know. So as a kid, you're having to like adapt to different things and notice. Like, oh, what's the culture of this school, right? Like, what do they do at this school? Because, right. I, you know, when you're a little kid, if you only go to one school, you're like, oh, well, this is how you do it. Yep. But I, I learned at a very early age that, like, things change, right? And, and things are different depending on where you are. So I guess that adaptability was a skill that I learned pretty early. Hey, hey I, I definitely appreciate you sharing that with us today. That's pretty good. Yeah, I don't. I, when I asked you that question, I, I challenge myself to answer that question often, right? Because I'm constantly trying to learn different things and impactful things and things to make my life better, right? And if I can answer that question, then I can share some of those experiences. Um, and I do answer the question, you know, often, you know, and mm-hmm. it changes from, from day to day, right? And I try to share those experiences as well. But I just want to say thank you. Uh, for sharing your life story. It was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty hard though. I know it was pretty hard as a kid, but I'm glad it, it molded you into who you are today, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I would also share with you, you know, I've been on a lot of podcasts and I've, I've shared different aspects of my life story. And honestly, the more I tell it, the more meaning it has for me, you nice. know, because mm. you start to understand things. Absolutely. So much more clearly. And I, I definitely have appreciated some of my qualities and my resilience and so forth in looking back. And it's really easy. I mean, I actually say this to my clients all the time. Like, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. Mm. Um, you know, we all walk around just being who we are. And we're like, oh, there's nothing special about me. Or, you know, this is just the way it is. But as a coach, you know, my job is, as I said earlier, to hold that mirror up for people so that they can see themselves and they can understand like, oh, maybe there is something special about me. I just thought everybody was like this. Um, and when we can start appreciating the things that make us unique, I, you know, there's a lot of power and strength in that, right? That we, we can find more confidence. We can love ourselves more. Um, we can show up with more energy, you know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah, absolutely. You said that. And, and I just think of being the best version of yourself. Um, and when you hold up that mirror, you can definitely see it. Yeah, definitely. And and the worst. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, you know, I think that like seeing our, uh, seeing our, the bad parts of ourselves and accepting it, right. Giving ourselves grace. Because again, you know, I will tell you again, like about high achievers, a lot of times high achievers motivate themselves through like 
force and fear. You know, they'll, they'll tell themselves like, oh, if this isn't perfect, I'm going to get fired or, you know, I'm, I'm just the worst if I don't ace this. And I'm like, gosh, give yourself a little bit of grace. Forgive yourself if you make a mistake. Um, you know, love yourself through things. Don't, you know, I always tell people like talk to yourself the same way that you would talk to your best friend, you know, Mm. like our inner voices can be so cruel and it, it drains energy when we talk to ourselves meanly, but we could just say, Hey, you gave it your best shot. You'll do better next time. Huh? We can do that. No, <laughs> we can do that. Yes. Like we actually have control over that little voice in our head. Believe right. it or not. <laughs> so, so Terry, I want you to step into my shoes or Eric's shoes. It doesn't matter whichever one fits better for you. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have asked yourself that we didn't ask you? Ah, oh my gosh. You've been on a um, lot of podcasts, right? So I'm sure yeah. you had a question. What, so what would you have asked yourself? Well, I mean, one of the things that people ask me sometimes and you guys didn't ask me is, you know, what advice do you have for, for people who want to be more satisfied in their careers. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I tell people is your happiness matters and, you know, get in touch with the things that you get joy out of. Try to do more of those things. Um, you know, we tell ourselves a lot of lies about, you know, like, Oh, work isn't supposed to be fun or, you know, it never gets better than this or, you know, you just, work until you die. I mean, there's tons of stuff Mm -hmm. that people tell themselves that keep them trapped in a really negative place. And I believe that we do that to, to protect ourselves from disappointment. But the reality is that if we, if we open up a bit and we really go out and seek things that resonate with us, that we enjoy, that it opens us up. And it also makes it possible for us to step more fully into who we were meant to be here on earth. And I know that's probably way more than what people thought they were going to get from like a career coach. But, you know, my mission is for people to be not only successful, but happy in their lives and careers. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I could not agree more. (laughs) I love that. All right, you do you you have any any anything else that we missed, Terry? No. Oh <laughs> uh, well, gosh, you know it's funny because I always get I always get um, like very into like oh what's the next question right? And then when you ask me right. a question like what didn't we ask you? And I'm like I don't know I'm just trying to be present. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean I we could probably talk for hours. Yeah. Um, so oh. like definitely if you want to have me back sometime, I'm happy to come back and talk more. But. Um, I, I think that that's what I want to leave people with is that, you know, you're here for a reason. Do what you can to find out what that is and be, be there for yourself. Be, you know, you deserve to be happy. Find that, find that reason. Terry, I absolutely uh, enjoyed this conversation that we had with you today. Um, I learned a few things for myself and hopefully our listeners will, will get something because I don't know how they couldn't. Uh, based off of some of the some of the uh, knowledge you just dropped for us today, so thank you, thank you. And where can our listeners connect with you online? 
Well, they can come to my website, which is terrybmcdougall.com, and there's lots of information out there about my coaching and my book and, you know, articles and podcasts that I've been on. Um, I also am very active on LinkedIn, and my, um, my handle there is terrybmcdougall. If any of your listeners are interested in the mar- uh, in the topic of marketing, I have a podcast called Marketing Mambo, and the website for that is marketing. Uh, sorry, I can't talk tonight. MarketingMambo.net. And then finally, if you're interested in checking out my book, Winning the Game of Work, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Now that's really amazing. I I love this conversation that we had today. I personally uh, learned a lot, and I think our listeners will will definitely grow just from hearing the, this episode um, and knowing that true happiness, um, you know, in your career and in your personal life is is what we all strive for. Yeah, absolutely. So Terry, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, talking with us today. And we definitely, I know I will, because I'm going to come up with some questions after I get off of here. And I'm definitely going to want to invite you back. So thank you for the open invitation. Oh, well, well, thank you both for having me. <laughs> this was fun. I good, really enjoyed good, it. Good. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Enjoy your evening. Okay. Thanks. Bye, Terry. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Subscribe to Hindsight the Podcast and never miss an episode. Find us on Instagram at hindsight underscore the underscore podcast and don't forget to leave a comment